Hi, everyone, and hi, Brittany. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of Crime Junkie. Today's episode I'm really excited about because I have never heard a podcast done on this case. There's never been any kind of documentary. It took me forever to put all this together, piecing it from web sleuths and old news articles, any little bit I could find. But I think it's a really interesting story here in the Midwest that I think all of you are going to love. But as usual, before we jump in, I want to tell you about one of our favorite nonprofits. This episode of Crime Junkie is brought to you by Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana. So you're saying that Crime Stoppers just takes the tips and helps make arrests? No, they don't actually do any of the arresting. All Crime Stoppers does is they're responsible for taking the tip, keeping the tipster anonymous, and then giving that information to police, and police do all the arresting. So you're saying Crime Stoppers wants just the tip? <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that up, but yes, Crime Stoppers is only responsible for taking the tips, and their number one goal is making sure that the tipsters remain anonymous. As of early 2018, Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana is responsible for clearing over 7,000 cases because of their tips. I encourage you to get involved with your local Crime Stoppers, and if you want more information on Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana, go to crimetips.org. All right, Brett, I am pretty excited about this one. I came about it a super weird way. So a little bit of a spoiler for our listeners is I am working on a local case that may be a crime junkie episode, but it's actually so big that I might turn it into its own podcast. Either way, um, that's a case of a missing girl. And as I was researching that and going through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and NamUs and the John Doe or the Doe Network, I came across this girl in Ohio who's still been unidentified, whose bones were found in 2007. And her story actually took me to the story I'm about to tell you. So I came about it a super weird way. I had never heard this story before, even though it was just in the state next to us in Ohio. And it actually all took place in 2016, so not even that long That's ago. That's really recent. And really honestly, recent. when you told me that you were going to use this case today, I didn't know anything about it, and I didn't research because I knew you would tell me everything you needed to know. <laughs> I will tell you everything you need to know. So it all starts on August 16th of 2016. A woman named Elizabeth Griffith, who's 29 years old, goes missing in Ashland, Ohio. When she's reported missing, police learn that she has uh, slight mental disabilities, and they begin to search for her right away. They find some security footage of her in a parking lot that's shared between a Walmart and an Aldi, and they also find some footage of her actually shopping inside the Walmart store. Ashland police post photos of her on their Facebook page, and one or two news outlets actually pick up the story, but even the ones that pick it up don't run the story more than once. So it just gets a little bit of local attention, no national attention, and Ohio just keeps moving on. There's, I was like digging, trying to find more information on the circumstances of her disappearance, but it was so hard to find anything. Yeah, I mean, naturally, my first questions are like, do we know what she was doing at Walmart? Was she, did she go to Aldi next? How did she leave? Did she have a car? Did someone pick her up? There's a lot of open-ended stuff with that. 
Right. And we, I wish I had answers, but we don't. I know that she didn't own a car, but I have no idea what she bought there. I have no idea if they, the surveillance video they have actually shows her leaving with someone, talking to anyone, getting into a car. I would hope that's something that police would release uh, to get more information, but I have no idea either way. If they just didn't have it or they didn't release it, there was so little interest Uh. in this. I know that we have just nothing to work off of. Okay. So her case kind of goes stale in August. Not a lot's done. She doesn't have a ton of family members who are advocating on her behalf. Then in early September, police get notified of another missing woman. This time, it's 43-year-old mother of two and grandmother, Stacy Stanley. She's reported missing by her sister, who she was extremely close with. Stacy had actually just recently moved to the Greenwich area, which is just about 20, 25 minutes away from the Ashland area that we were just talking about. Okay. She used to live in Sandusky, Ohio with her sister. They were super close. So when she moved, her and her sister would still talk on the phone every single day. And she said that she spoke to her sister on September 8th. And remember, this is 2016. Right. And at 10 o'clock at... At 10 o'clock at night, her sister calls her from a BP gas station. And she says, and the BP that she's at is in Ashland. And even though it's not the city she lives in, I mean, within 20, 25 minutes, it was super normal for her to be there. I mean, it's just going from town to town. She was in Ashland a lot. Wasn't concerning to her sister. But what was concerning is she's at this gas station because she has a flat tire. And when she called her sister, she was trying to arrange to either have her sister or one of her sons or some family member get come pick her up, help her out, fix her car. While she's on the phone with her, though, actually someone offers to help her. And her sister says that, okay, this, she says, you know, I have this really nice man. He's going to help me out. Everything will be fine. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she tells her sister, you know, I have this nice man. Everything should be fine. That's the last time anyone from Stacy's family heard from her. It's stated in an article that she did go into the BP gas station to buy a coffee for the man that was helping her, but I don't know if that account is from video, if it's from eyewitnesses or some kind of receipt. Again, there's just really nothing. The family just cannot locate her, and they become extremely concerned literally the next day. I mean, they know something isn't right. However, when they notify police, there's a little bit of a catch. According to Stacy's family, the police are just unwilling to help. Um, they file an official missing persons report, but Stacy has a history with the law. She has substance abuse issues. She used to be an addict. Her family says that she has been in recovery for six months and hasn't used drugs. She was getting her life together. She had a job. But unfortunately, it didn't mean a whole lot to the police. And the family said that when they urged police to get involved, the police said they weren't going to look for her because she probably just went somewhere to get high with someone. Mm. But the family pointed out the fact that her car was left behind with her phone and her wallet. And they said that no one drug addict or not would willingly leave all of their stuff behind and disappear. Yeah. I mean, if she's, if she's going to get high, she still needs money to do that. Like, so right. where was all that stuff found? Was it found at the BP, in the car? What about the flat tire? Was it fixed? <laughs> right. So, again, I, I only know a couple of things. So what I do know is that her car was found on 9th Street. And 9th Street is just a couple of blocks away from the BP gas station. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, 
I don't have any answers. Um, they didn't, they say that they found her phone in her wallet. I assume they found it in the car, but I have no idea. They don't make any more references to the tire. So I have no idea if the tire was fixed and then the car was moved there or if the tire was maybe just filled with air enough to get it a couple of blocks and moved there. Hmm. There's really nothing on this. This was like the Elizabeth Griffith case, but even worse. There was not a single news article or even a blurb anywhere about her disappearance. When I was going back through trying to research really? this case, yes, I couldn't find a single article. Wow, that's incredible and also incredibly sad. Yeah. So since the family wasn't getting any help from the police or the media, they came together themselves to search for her. They made flyers and passed them out everywhere. They made sure to pass them out in the town she lived, but they really focused heavily on that Ashland area since that's where her car was found and where she was last known to be seen. They started at the location of her car on 9th Street. And they went from building to building, knocking on doors, searching abandoned buildings. They were passing out flyers, putting up flyers. There are a couple abandoned houses across from a laundromat in Ashland that the family says they paid really close attention to because they knew they were abandoned, but they thought that they there pe- might be people living inside. And I don't know why they thought that. If they heard something, if there was some kind of indication when they looked in windows, they didn't say what it was that drew their attention to those houses, but they were drawn to them. And they say they had a fear of trespassing, so they didn't want to break into these homes and get worried about you know police coming after them. So they reported it to law enforcement and begged law enforcement to go break those doors down. But law enforcement, again, said, not happening. We don't think your mother, daughter, sister is endangered. So sorry, no luck. Nothing more came from the family's searches, and no matter how much they insisted to police Stacy was in danger, police believed she was just relapsing until they got a haunting call to 911 and this call came in on September 13th of 2016 now what I want to do is I want to play some of this call for you guys and we're kind of going to break it up this 911 call is 20 minutes long what Yeah, if you want to listen to the whole thing, I will have a link on our website, but I'm going to play some of the most important pieces for you guys here. Nine one one. what is the address to your emergency? By the Street Laundry Mat. What is it? Fourth Street Laundry Mat. What's the problem? I've been exhausted. So... I don't know how clear that is. It's really hard to hear her, but this girl's whispering into the phone and she says, when she's asked what her location is, they say 4th Street Laundromat. And when the operator asks her what the problem is, she just whispers and says, I've been abducted. (laughs) I have like full body chills right now. (laughs) I know. Who abducted you? John Green. Is it John Green? Sean, great. Where's she at now? Asleep. Did you hear that? I I can't quite make it out. What did, like what do you think it says? So she says that the man's name is Sean Great. Right. And the operator asks, Where is he at now? 
and she says he's asleep. He is sleeping next to her. Oh my god. While she's on the phone with 911. So calm or right robotic or so like it's eerie it's incredibly eerie her tone and her inflection is just like really kind of creeping me out right now and through most of the call her tone actually stays that same way and the first time I heard it I I like had to take a step back and be like that is not how I'd be reacting if I was being abducted. But you also, I mean, bravo to her because I would be freaking out, but she has this man next to her and she can't freak out. Like, I don't think she could get her heart beating fast or it's going to wake this guy up. Well, and like, honestly, she doesn't even, like, volunteer information, which is kind of, like, which, you know, outside looking in, seems odd. The operator has to prompt her for this information, which just seems... Like, I would be like, I am at XYZ. This is where I am. This is who I'm with. He's asleep right now. What do I do next? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, but uh, I've never been abducted. So who knows? I would be frozen. I would be frozen in fear. And I, my only thing would, I would call 911. I wouldn't say a word and I would pray to God they just came to my location. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm screwed, but that's just how it is. Is there any way you can get out of the building? I So she says, is there any way you can get out of the building? And she says, I have have no no idea. idea. I'm scared. Yes, I'm scared. And she explains later in the tape, again, it takes a long time to get there, but basically what he's done is he has set up this whole contraption in the room that he has her in to where she, if she tries to leave, there's stuff around the door that's going to make noise. Are you bleeding from anywhere? Not anymore. Where were you bleeding from? So she asked her if she needs an ambulance Mm -hmm. and if she's bleeding from anywhere. And she said, not anymore. And when the operator asked her, where were you bleeding from? There's just silence. And the silence lasts for 20 seconds. And I'm not kidding you. It is the longest 20 seconds of my life. Oh, my God. The next thing we hear is the operator coming back in. Do you know where he lives? So she asks if she knows where the guy lives or where she's being held right now. And all we hear from this girl is, oh shit, oh shit, I woke him up. Mm. Then the operator tells her, just put your phone down. And the rest of this tape, at least for a big chunk of it, from about minute marker eight until... 1126 is just silence just cold breathing silence and at 1126 the operator comes back in and asks her if she's still there and there's just nothing on the other end and I'm not 100% sure like I've tried listening closely and turning up the volume I think when she says that she woke him up I can hear some rustling and maybe a man's voice Mm -hmm. and there's a part that's bleeped out and of this whole audio they only bleep out her name so I'm wondering if he said her name Mm. but he must go back to sleep because again at the minute marker 1233 he asked her the operator asked her again are you still there And she just asks, how much longer? 
and then the operator says okay where are you can you get out of the bed so she gets out of the bed and she gets to be standing by the door. But remember, she's already told the operator, like, she can't get out of the door. It will make a lot of noise. Right. And the operator starts getting kind of sassy with her. And she's like, okay, you're not in the bed. Just leave then. Like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. I mean, if she could have just leave, she wouldn't have called you. 911. <laughs> yeah. And then the operator's like, can't you just open the door? No, we've already gone over this. No, I cannot. Then I'll play you a little part that maybe it's, I'm just uber sensitive to this lady, but I feel like she just gets a little nasty. Do you think you can get out? You need to get out. Not unless they were right here. They would hear me catch me any strong. So that's where the operator says, if you can get out, just get out. And she's saying, no, he's right here. If he hears me, he can catch me and he's strong. So the if you listen to the whole thing, like this 911 operator is, Lord help me if I'm ever abducted and get on the phone with this 911 operator. (laughs) Because I know their job is to remain calm, but like, damn, this girl is taking it to another level. Like have a little bit of sympathy for a girl who's just been held captive. So there is a time as she's on the phone with her, she's obviously trying to get the police to her. And there is a time where this girl actually does hear the police outside so now she she feels confident that she can leave the room because even if he hears her leave the room like the police are are steps away she gets out of the room and realizes that there's no doorknob on the outside door and the police can't get in and the police are on the other side like just a wall between them my heart was pounding my my pulse was out of control when i was listening to this Then you hear the police, you can hear them through her phone, and then it gets really quiet. And she just says, where did they go? And I just wanted to die. Is there a window there? Yeah, I'm looking out and they tell them to come back. So they finally see her, and they're able to come back, and they're able to get inside. Thank God. God. they get inside. You actually hear the whole like interaction of her actually going to the police and explaining to the police where in the house this guy is. They go up and they find him, and it's exactly who she said it was, 40-year-old Sean Great. And they immediately take him into custody and do a sweep of this house. In this abandoned house, they go first to the basement. And in the basement of the home, under bags of trash, they find a woman laying face down fully clothed but deceased and decomposing oh my God. she has a pur- i know she has a purse near her and in the purse is the id of stacy stanley mm. who police wouldn't even acknowledge when missing and as the police work their way through the rest of the home onto the second floor they go in the second floor bedroom closet which has been duct taped shut so you know something's in there. Naturally. (laughs) They find another nude body of a woman that has been hogtied and is decomposing beyond recognition. They aren't able to ID this woman for almost a week, but once they're able to compare dental records, they find out that it's the body of Elizabeth Griffiths. And the woman who called 911 is still unknown to this day. It's been kept a secret because she was sexually assaulted. 
And after the autopsies were done on Stacy and Elizabeth, the coroner found that the two women were sexually assaulted, tortured, and then both strangled to death. And there's no doubt in my mind that that was his plan for this unknown girl as well. Definitely. Obviously. When police took Sean then into custody, he confessed to everything, like kind of in a ranting, madman, crazy way. But not only was he ranting and raving about the two dead women and the woman he had captive. Now, the woman he had captive, he swears he had no intention to kill her. It was totally consensual. She was there on her own. Mm-hmm. Did not sound mm-hmm. to me like she was there on her own free will. <laughs> I mean, whenever I'm with someone that I enjoy spending time with, I call 911. For 20 minutes. So, along with these three girls that he is just openly talking about, mm-hmm. he starts talking about other murders that police had no clue about. He took them to a patch of woods behind a burned home near Ashland where they found the buried remains of a woman named Candace Cunningham. And Candace actually was his girlfriend back in the summer of 2016, sometime in June or July. And she was never even reported missing because that spring she had told her mother that she was moving to North Carolina and no one expected to even hear from her. She, too, had a history of drug abuse, run-ins with the law, but I just can't even believe that all that time goes by, like a full season, and not even a single person was looking for her or calling her cell phone at all. I mean, it's just devastating. And there was some speculation that maybe they were engaged or married because of stuff on Candace's Facebook. And I can post this on our website as well. It's a screenshot of a photo. Sean had posted a photo with a caption that Candace had then shared. And the caption talks about someone asking you to marry them and you say yes. And at some point on Candace's Facebook, she actually changed her Facebook status to married. But, you know, we all know Facebook statuses aren't legally binding, so... (laughs) Who knows? Um, either way, her death is, he, he confessed her death, but it's super suspicious and there's so much mystery around it because he never really gave a reason of why or how or exactly when. And there's not a ton of news articles explaining that either. Again, her family hasn't been super vocal in the news and there's nothing obviously before because she wasn't even reported missing. So it was really hard to find a lot about her specific case. The next place Sean took them was to a field in Ohio where they found the scattered bones of a woman who's later identified as Rebecca Lisi. She was reported missing back in February of 2016. But again, she was one that had a history of drug abuse, run-ins with the law, and her disappearance, same as Stacy's, was not taken seriously. Police didn't really do anything to look for her. There were no news articles, and they thought she was just a drug addict who had relapsed. Sean said, now he actually gave a reason for her murder, and he said they were hanging out in a bar and playing pool. And when he was coming back from the bathroom, he heard his money clip close and realized that she had taken $4 from him. $4. Uh, I'm sorry. $4? $4. I'm going to say it again. $4. One, two, three, four dollars I get that it's like an entire meal at Taco Bell, but that's a little bit extreme. Yeah, so he murdered her over $4 and scattered her body. Finally, and again, this is what brought me back to the whole case, is Sean confessed that his first kill ever 
was of a young woman whose name he didn't even remember. Mm. He said it was either Dina, Dana, or Diana, likely. And she, he had met her in 2005 when she was selling magazines door to door and he was living with his mother at the time and he said his mother purchased the magazines from her and the magazines never showed up. So when he ran into her somewhere in town later on, he was so upset with her that he pretended he wanted to buy more magazines from her and he abducted her and stabbed her. And this is the girl, he says, whose bones were found in 2007. To this day, no one knows if that's true or who this girl actually is. They often call her now Dana. But the rendering they did of her is so sad. And I, I'm, again, going to put this on the website be, and put it on our Instagram because it is shocking to me that a young woman, they think she's probably in her late teens, early 20s, that this young woman is missing. Someone's missing a daughter or a sister or a cousin, a friend, and no one knows. This girl can't even have a name. And the guy who killed her couldn't even have the decency to remember her name. Oh, my God. He wrote a reporter while he was waiting in jail a couple of times, just these rambling notes about how government assistance basically steals people's minds. And all these women that he killed, their minds were already gone and they were just bodies flopping around. And all he did was take their bodies. And right now, he's actually only charged with the murders of Stacy and Elizabeth. And he's charged on a couple of counts of sexual assault and kidnapping but he's not charged with the other three murders that he's confessed to and I don't know why that would be I can understand why they wouldn't necessarily lump all of them together in one trial in case something fell through you want to have the opportunity to try him again right but I don't know if you have to maybe try someone, I think you have to try someone within a certain amount of time of charging them, and maybe that's why they're waiting. Right, the right to a speedy trial. Right. So right now, he's only standing trial for Stacy and Elizabeth. And initially, his lawyer wanted to um, basically put in a plea of guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. And he had a competency hearing in January of 2017 But he was found that at the time of the crimes, he was sane enough to know what he was doing. So they had to throw out his plea of guilty by insanity in April. And he was set to stand trial in November of 2017. But at the time, his lawyer asked for an extension because the defense needed more time for two expert witnesses to prepare their testimonies. I have no idea what experts they're going to be bringing up on his behalf. But the trial's been moved to April 9th of 2018, which is basically right around the corner. Yeah, that's really soon. So you're talking about Ashland, Ohio, um, mm-hmm. which it looks is about maybe an hour and a half away from Columbus, which is where I have family. So I'm looking at this, and I also noticed that it's not that far away from Chillicothe, which yes. uh, has a lot of women missing and presumed or found dead. Is there any talk of connecting this guy with anything from the Chillicothe vanishing girls? And a lot of like the same circumstances. So 
all the Chillicothe women have the same kind of MO where they are these women who were addicted to drugs, had some run-ins with the law. And and the, the all the Chillicothe women kind of had the same problem that the women in Ashland did where they couldn't get media attention. They really couldn't keep police's interest because police thought they were just relapsing. There, as I was like roaming through the internet and the Web Sleuth articles, there's a couple of press conferences that the, the police did where... They wouldn't outright say that they have no connection. They basically said, listen, our police and the Chillicothe police and all the task force all have access to the same information and can share information. And if there's something to be found or a way to connect these, they will. There's a reason they haven't so far. And I think they're saying like that's that's that, that we've got this guy for this stuff and has nothing to do with that. But it is eerie how similar, and I don't know if it's eerie how similar because it's possible this guy was so close and he did do this, or if it's just unfortunately part of these high-risk lifestyles that these women are living. If you are if you are just more likely to have something like this happen to you because you are addicted to drugs and you do run in these crowds and you sometimes do go to prostitution, you know, I don't know what's what. Well, and especially because the Chillicothe disappearances started in 2014, and these Ashland situations started in 2016. So it's not like they're very far apart in location or in time. Like, it would be... If if there was a serial murderer, rapist, or a lot of girls going missing in my area... Um, and then a couple years later, the same thing happened where you live, which is about two and a half hours away from me. Mm-hmm. It would it would raise some red flags for both of us in that, like, there's a lot of similarities in the cases or in the situations and not a lot of distance or time. So absolutely, it's very interesting to know that the police departments from these different areas have talked but haven't officially ruled that they're connected or not connected. Yeah. And I think it's even more, again, everything I'm reading is saying that, no, probably not. But I've said this before in other cases, I find it really hard to believe when someone starts killing that they just stop for a long time and then just like start in like a crazy batch again. So his first kill, he says, is in 2005. So the first killing he has is 2005. And then... All this time goes by, 11 years, and then he has this batch in 2016 where he kills almost one woman a month. A question about his, about the 2005 killing. Mm-hmm. Um, where was that located? Do you know? So it was located in Marion County. Her skeletal remains were found on, dumped along Victoria Road which was in Northeast Marion County, Ohio, which is close to this Ashland area. Do you have a map pulled up? How close is it to Chillicothe? Um, I'm pulling up maps right now. Um, it's closer to Ashland. It is pretty much directly north of Columbus, whereas Chillicothe is directly south. So I do have a map that I'm going to post a link to on the website just to give you kind of a visual idea of where all this happened. It kind of maps out where the house was where they found these women, where these other women were buried, where his, where he grew up, where some of the women were last seen. So it'll give you a good landscape if you want to take a look at that on our website. Um, just a visual of all of this. And we'll have some more pictures, as usual, of some of the victims. I'm definitely going to be posting this Jane Doe a lot. I know it sounds crazy, but 
share it, post it around. She's from the Midwest, or at least was found in the Midwest. And I can't, again, I can't believe that there's this girl who absolutely no one is missing. It's really, really sad. And I cannot imagine as a daughter and a sister and having sisters and really close friends just having no one notice that I'm gone or not noticing that one of the girls that I feel closest to have just like disappeared off the map. It is. It's really sad, but I'm hoping that as the trial progresses and we get done with this first trial, maybe they will charge him for the other cases. And as we learn more about those, we'll learn more about this Jane Doe and maybe get some answers there. But we will follow the trial as it happens. And again, this first one is set for April 9th of 2018. So definitely, everyone, please go to our website, crimejunkiepodcast.com. Take a look at these pictures. If you want more information on the show, you can find it there. You can also sign up for our newsletter. Um, we It's called The Fix, and we're going to release that quarterly. But in this coming newsletter, we're also going to be releasing information about our first meetup. And we're also going to be doing maybe some giveaways of Crime Junkie swag. So make sure to go there and sign up. And if you want to connect with us on social media, Britt... You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Junkie Pod and on Instagram at Crime Junkie Podcast. We will be back next week with another case that I promise you'll love. Crime Junkie is written and hosted by me. All of our sound production and editing comes from Britt Praywatt. And all of our music, including our theme, comes from Justin Daniel. Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Yeah.